First John chapter 4, and we're going to read just from the verse 1. First John chapter 4, verse 1. Beloved. Isn't that a lovely title? Beloved. Notice it's all in capitals. Beloved. Believe not every spirit, but try the spirits whether they are of God. Because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist, whereof ye have heard that it should come. And even now already is it in the world. Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. They are of the world. Therefore speak they of the world, and the world heareth them. We are of God. He that knoweth God heareth us. He that is not of God heareth not us. Hereby know we the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Beloved, <coughs> let us love one another, for love is of God. And every one that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God. For God is life. And this was manifested the love of God toward us. Because that God sent his only begotten Son into the world. That we might live through him. Herein is love. Not that we love God. But that he loved us. And sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. Amen. We know God will start with his own approval and blessing this reading of the Holy Scripture. Now with our Bibles open at 1 John chapter 4, let's just unite again in prayer. Lord, we want to thank thee tonight for the word of God. We bless thee for our English translation of the Holy Scriptures. We believe, Lord, that this authorised version is a most faithful and reliable translation from the original tongue of Hebrew and Greek. And Lord, there's none of us here Hebrew or Greek scholars and we're conscious that if it was the case where we're trying to read a Hebrew Bible or a Greek Bible, we would have most difficulty understanding the text. And we thank you for men that willingly gave up their life even unto death, that we might have a copy of the Bible in our English tongue. And we just thank you, Lord, for the liberty and freedom we enjoy to publicly read the Bible. Anywhere we choose, we thank thee, O God, uh, for the right to carry it in the street. We bless thee, O God, for the public reading of thy word uh, week in and week out in this church and in every other church throughout the province. And we just pray, Lord, that thou will bless the reading of the scriptures. 
Lord, we pray now for the help of the Holy Spirit as we turn our attention to thy word. We pray that thou will help us to have that spirit of discernment where we will discern the spirits. And, O God, we'll know the spirit of truth and we'll rejoice. And, O God, we'll know the spirit of error and we'll refrain from that error. We'll run from it. For thou hast said to the law and to the testimony, if they speak not according to this word, it is because there's no light in them. We do pray tonight for those that are in error and we ask thee to have mercy upon them. We pray, Lord, you'll show them uh, the things that are wrong that they sincerely hold by way of a, a fundamental belief. And, O oh God, that they'll examine what they believe in light of the Scriptures. Uh, and, O oh God, learn to repudiate that error and receive with meekness the truth. Lord, we, we just pray that you'll remember those in the Muslim world uh, and those that are Hindu and even those that are Jewish and, O oh God, those of other creeds and faiths. We pray that they'll come to understand the great truth that is in Jesus Christ. And, O oh God, that they will learn to not only come to know him, but, O oh God, that they'll seek to stand for him and speak up for him for your honour and glory. Just shut us in with thyself now. Plead the cleansing, covering power of the blood and the help of thy Holy Spirit. You know the subject in my mind. You know the things that are in my heart. And I pray for grace and wisdom. O oh God, shut us in now with thee. Bless us and do us good. For Jesus' sake. Amen. Now my text tonight is really taken from First uh, John uh, chapter 4 and uh, verse 1. Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Uh, my subject tonight is simply entitled The Unveiling of Islam or Understanding the Religion of Islam. I want you to grasp this evening that the word Islam means submission. So whenever you hear in the news or you're communicating with someone else and the word Islam is mentioned, understand that that word means submission. It's a surrendering or a submitting of oneself to Allah. Allah is the God of Islam. Allah is actually a moon God. And this is a religious demand. You see, you tonight have had the freedom to come to this meeting or not. As far as religion is concerned, you have freedom to choose. You can go to church or not go to church. You can attend a mission or an open air service in any denomination of your choice. And we thank God for that freedom. And of course, on Friday past, uh, there was the celebration of the Normandy landings or the D-Day landings when men fought for our freedom and a basic uh, way of life. But in the Islamic world, if you lived in an Islamic country or state, you wouldn't have that freedom. One of the most Islamic countries in the world is 
the land of Arabia. Saudi Arabia. And there's no churches allowed in Saudi Arabia. There's no Bibles. You couldn't carry one in the street. You couldn't sit in a park and read it or a library. You couldn't name the name of Christ. You couldn't say anything offensive about Islam or Muhammad or the Quran. There's really no freedom to be a Christian openly in Saudi Arabia. And it's very simple tonight to be a follower of the religion of Islam. All you have to say and believe in your heart and mean it, there is no God but Allah and Muhammad is the prophet of Allah. Do you know tonight there are about 1.3 billion Muslims in the world? That's out of the 6.7, 6.89 billion people in the world. 85% of Muslims live in 32 countries in the world. To think about countries like Saudi Arabia that I've mentioned, Iran, Iraq, Pakistan, Lebanon, Sudan. You know tonight there's 11 million Muslims in France. There's 6 million in the United States of America. Many Muslims look upon America as the great sin. There's also three million in the United Kingdom. In 1974, in France, there was one mosque. By 1988, 14 years later, there was 1,500 mosques. Do you know tonight that there's more mosques in the city of London? than evangelical churches. Islam, from its inception to now, has been a religion that has been spread by conquest. Now, in this past 14, 15 years, we we have seen on our television screens, for example, the Twin Towers disaster in 9-11. In 2001, horrendous slaughter of over 5,000 individuals. In 2005, you had the London bombings. It was the 7th of July, 56 people were killed, 700 were injured. Uh, England's worst terrorist attack, uh, a very savage suicide attack, attempt on trains and buses. And we've got to ask the question, when you think of these attacks and many others that could be cited, what is it that breeds such hatred and drives men to commit such acts of barbarity in the name of religion? At 2005, Dr. Ian Brown, who's now the minister in the Martyrs Memorial, preached a sermon entitled Monsters in the Midst. He talked about the sleeper cells that were uh, throughout the United Kingdom. And he gave four reasons for such barbarity and such hatred uh, that, that drove men to commit such terrible acts in the name of religion. He talked about the perverseness of human nature. And if you think of the intense hatred of a Western lifestyle throughout the Islamic world. He talked about the performance of Islam in history. And it can be proven that Islam as a religion has been spread by conquest 
Even though they claim to be a religion of peace. It's actually a religion of war. Thirdly you've got the pronouncement of Islam's sacred texts. The Quran has no difficulty in deriding a license for this barbaric act different from the Christian church and the teaching of the Bible and the fourth reason was the provision of a safe haven British law, British lifestyle safeguarded freedom of religion and people could come and set up their uh, own religion and they could propagate that religion without fear or let or hindrance and if anybody criticises them of course then they can complain to the authorities of hate crimes so on and so forth and let's remember we enjoy these freedoms because of the sacrifice of our brave uh, armed forces 70 years ago in the D-Day landings and uh, when we were delivered from Nazi Germany and its ceremony. Now let me just say three things tonight and I'm rolling three sermons into one. I want us to think of the commencement of Islam. The founder of Islam was a man called Muhammad. He was born into a pagan tribe in the Middle East. He was born at a time when the church had lost its power, had lost its message, lost its zeal for the spread of the gospel. See, after the first century and during that period, even AD 90, there was the corruption of the pure gospel. Uh, and around the 6th century, uh, the, the gospel was hardly recognized uh, in the Middle East, at least in certain places. <coughs> Muhammad was born around 50, uh, 570 AD in the city of Mecca. It was an Arabic stronghold. His father was called Abdullah. His mother was Amina. Uh, he was orphaned sadly at the age of six or seven. He was reportedly to be a deeply troubled child. Uh, troubled by wandering thoughts. Often hung about by himself. He was brought up by his grandfather who was the uh, chief of Mecca at that time. He was in charge of a uh, a building called uh, the uh, Kaaba and uh, later on after the death of his grandfather his uncle looked after in his early teens he was taken on trade journeys his uncle was a merchant and he visited such places as Syria and Israel and came into contact with Christians and Jews uh, and he learnt from them certain Bible stories um, certain truths about Christ, certain truths about fasting, certain truths about prayer, certain truths about the sacred text. At the age of 25, he married a wealthy 40-year-old. He had worked for this wealthy woman for a number of years, and then he married her. He had two sons to her. For 15 years, little is heard of Muhammad. But during this time, it's reported that he had a hatred of the paganism of his tribe. His tribe was polytheistic, that is, they worshipped many gods and they were guilty of idolatry. At this time, uh, Muhammad was puzzled by Christian teaching. Say, for example, the doctrine of the Trinity, it confused him. 
uh, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. At the age of 40, he was alone in a cave outside Mecca, and it's there in that cave that he supposedly received his first revelation from God. It's reported that the angel Gabriel came directly from God and communicated certain truths to him that he was to write down. Certain truths that were correcting the errors that were supposedly abounding in Arabia and throughout the known world at that time. And what was reportedly revealed to him from this angel that we call in their terminology Gabriel was recorded in the Quran. And this was in the Muslim mind, a night of power and excellence for the Muslim world. In uh, 622 AD, uh, Muhammad, because of trouble in Mecca, fled to Medina and took a number of followers with him, his wife and children. This is an important flight uh, in the, the Muslim mindset and religion. All their dates date from this period. Uh, this uh, year 622 is the first year in the Islamic calendar. Uh, and it's called, the, the, the flight is called uh, the Hygira. In uh, 630 AD, Muhammad led uh, an armed insurrection and reconquered Mecca. And whenever he arrived back in Mecca, he destroyed all the idols of the Kaaba. He was appointed and received the leadership of religion in Mecca. And he set up the first mosque there. Muhammad had a love for women. He had a love for nice perfume. And he had a love for food. And he died in 632 AD and was buried in the prophet's tomb in Medina. Historians tell us that Islam, remember it means submission, made their greatest gains between uh, 632 AD and 732 AD uh, when they expanded then uh, throughout the uh, known world and their expansion as we've said was by one of conquest there's two main groups as far as the Muslim uh, people are concerned they're Sunni Muslims they make up about 90% of the Muslim world Saddam Hussein uh, would belong to this group and then, of course, there is the Shiite Muslims, and they make up about 10% of the Muslim population. Uh, and between the Sunni and the Shiites, there is um, two other categories, we'll call them militant and the moderate uh, Muslims. Remember, there's 1.3 billion. Uh, and it's reported that at least 3%, possibly higher, are actually militant Muslims who literally follow and defend the teaching of the Quran. They believe that they have a duty and a right to conquer Christian lands 
well beyond Mecca. And there is a program, a mindset called the Islamization of the world. And the Muslim Brotherhood is heavily involved in that. So that is roughly the commencement of Islam. I want you to think secondly of the creed of Islam. Now, now what does a Muslim man or a Muslim woman believe? The, the Muslim religion has got five pillars. And if you think of your hand, your thumb and your four fingers, your children will be able to remember five things. This is what a Muslim man believes. He first of all believes in reciting a testimony. Eight words or nine words in that testimony. There is no God but Allah. And Muhammad is his prophet. Or Muhammad is the prophet of Allah. So there's the testimony. There is no God but Allah. And Muhammad is his prophet. And if you swear that under oath. If you believe that. If you recite that. Then that's one of the five pillars of being a good Muslim. Another part of that um, five-pillared creed is prayer. A Muslim man or woman is to pray five times a day. You'll hear five times a day a call from the mosque and the call is heard loud and clear and a Muslim man or a woman is to take their shoes off, to, to wash their hands and their their, their, their feet and to set their face toward Mecca and then they're to chant or recite the phrase and they could recite the phrase there is no God but Allah and Muhammad is prophet or they could write, recite the phrase Ali Akbar and we've probably heard that on the television God is great and those that flew the planes into the Twin Towers in 9-11 disaster they were Supposedly shouting, Ali Akbar, God is great. And in the mosque, if there is no room for men uh, to, to pray, they'll spill out onto the street. And you'll see that in Birmingham, you'll see it in London, you'll see it in Bradford. They're not embarrassed to kneel down bare feet. They're not hiding it in the mosque. There's no chairs, there's no pews, there's no pictures, there's no items. And on a Friday which is their holy day, there will be a sermon included in the time of prayer. And the imam, that's what they call their, their preacher, an imam, he'll preach and exhort and encourage the people to, to follow the teaching of the Quran. And some imams have actually exhorted the people to go out and kill infidels in the name of Allah. And I'm not exaggerating uh, there are some extremists who have preached that in various mosques in the United uh, Kingdom. So that's the second pillar. The, the third pillar is fasting. Especially during the month of Ramadan, which is the ninth month of the Islamic year. And Muhammad taught, it's in the Quran, that in this ninth month of the year, the gates of hell are closed. And paradise is open. And for everyone that keeps the fast, all their sins are pardoned. 
The only ones that are excused are those that are genuinely sick. There's no bluffing. You have to get a certificate. If you're a Muslim, the infirm and the insane are excused. Of course, the the, the near dying are excused as well. And you fast every day from dawn to dusk. You're not even allowed to drink water. Now you imagine maybe what it's like in the UK with plenty of rain. But you think of being in a country that's very hot, temperatures that are 40 degrees plus. And uh, if you're a Muslim, you're not allowed a drop of water during the month of Ramadan from dawn to dusk. Of course you can eat all night, and many do. But many who are devout refuse to break the fast. And then also, fourthly, there's almsgiving. Uh, Muslims are encouraged to remember the poor, to help the orphans and the widows. Muslims are encouraged, according to the Sharara law, to give 2.5% of their income to help to spread the cause of Islam. And you think of France, 1974, one loss, 14 years later, 1,500. Where did all the money come from? Well, it's come from individual devotees of the Islamic religion. It's also come from places like Saudi Arabia, Iran, and uh, countries like that who have given thousands, millions, could even run into billions to, to spread and advance the cause of Islam. Some Muslims are reported, like the Christian church, to, to give 10% of their income. So almsgiving is a very important pillar. <laughs> Another important pillar is the pilgrimage to Mecca. Every Muslim is encouraged to go once in their lifetime to Mecca. And if you go to Mecca, Saudi Arabia, then you'll be pure from sin for all time. And you'll be guaranteed a place in heaven. Another aspect to um, the belief of the uh, Muslim is what we call jihad or holy war now there's different aspects to jihad you could have a holy war with yourself to to combat certain sins and evils but most of us in the western world understand jihad to mean being the imposition and the duty of every Muslim to involve in holy war until the, the whole of the Western world is under the control and domain of Islam. Now, now Islam really, I believe, is a religion of works. You see, all false religion in the world can be traced back to Cain. Remember Cain? He presented the works of his hands to God and God refused to accept his sacrifice. And you see, Islam is what you can do to merit the favour of God. If you fast in the month of Ramadan, your sins will be pardoned. If you go to Mecca, your sins will be pardoned. If you involve in almsgiving and do good deeds, God is well pleased. God will favour you. Now we're told in the Bible, 
in Acts 4 verse 12 neither is there salvation in any other for there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved and what we have found out that while Islam purports and presents itself to be a religion of peace and claims that in Islamic state countries there's the protection of Jews and Christians I want to make it clear that there's a certain amount of intolerance of the Jews and the Christians because the Jews and Christians even in Islamic states don't have real freedom to practice their religion for example they're not allowed to build a new church they're not allowed to propagate their religion They're not allowed to repair their church without permission. They're not allowed to refuse not to pay their tax to the Islamic State to advance the cause of Islam. Did you know that in the 14th to the 17th century, uh, in Islamic State countries, they used to seize and enslave 20% of Christian children from various parts of the uh, Islamic Empire? The children were told, choose Islam or face death. And they enrolled many of these children as late fighters in the cause of jihad. So much for tolerance. And we can bring it right home. Think of what happened in Sudan with the young woman who married a a non-Muslim man. (coughs) And the death sentence that's been imposed upon her. Uh, think about these children, these, these girls that were stolen uh, away from their school uh, and, uh, uh, and uh, forced to um, be held captive by uh, their, 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 their captors. You see, there is real persecution of Christians today. There is the use of jihad in order to advance and protect Islam. And again, those who are told from the Quran, if you uh, engage in jihad, you're assured of a reward. You've got a home in heaven. You're promised paradise. And it all appeals to one's sensual nature. <coughs> Let me just say something about the doctrine of creation. As far as Islam is concerned, It teaches that every human being is really a Muslim. They believe that Allah, the moon God, is the only giver and sustainer of life. And that every soul is in subjection to him. As far as the doctrine of sin is concerned, the Islamic religion teaches that man is born in a pure state. Man is born good. Uh, He is not born sinful. As far as the doctrine of the Trinity is concerned... They deny the one God who subsists in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They, they argue that there's God the Father, and then there's Mary, uh, who was the mother of Jesus, and then there's Jesus, he's a prophet. And as far as the Trinity is concerned, that's how far that they go. They, they refuse to uh, call God Father. They will not recognize or accept that they are actually sons and daughters of God. The doctrine of the deity of Christ is denied. Christ is just a prophet. He's not the God-man. Muhammad was the last of the prophets. 
And he was raised up by God to set the record straight because the message that Jesus had brought had been corrupted. They also teach, by the way, that Jesus was born under a palm tree. The doctrine of atonement is denied. They say that it wasn't Christ that actually was crucified in the cross. It was just a lookalike of Christ. But Christ was most certainly not God in the flesh. The doctrine of the Holy Spirit is foreign and alien to them. The doctrine of the Bible, the Muhammad taught originally that the Old and New Testaments were in equal par with his new book called the Quran. And then that was uh, abolished uh, earlier on in the setting up of his uh, religion in Mecca. And they, by the way, they reverence the Quran. If you were witnessing to a Muslim, maybe you're meeting him in some cafe or something, and we have a terrible habit of setting our Bible maybe down at our feet. If you did that in the presence of a Muslim, um, you would have lost the conversation straight away. Uh, they, they put their Bible or their Quran on a very high shelf high up because they, they honor this book. They, they believe this book. They, they revere this book. They, they fear the book. And as far as their doctrine of salvation is concerned, this is what they teach, that Allah judges according to faithfulness to Islam. And that's the basis upon which people are saved and brought into heaven. And of course it contradicts what the Bible teaches. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. So that's basically the creed of Islam. That's what a Muslim believes. The five pillars, his testimony, prayer, fasting, almsgiving, pilgrimage to Mecca. And of course added into that is this thrust about having involvement in jihad. Now I want us to think as we close the controversy with Islam. We have to think of the persecution of Christians. We have to think of acts of violence perpetrated in the name of Islam against the Western world. We've got to think of the activity of murder and even the use of lies. And ask yourself, how could a religious man be involved in violence, be involved in murder, be involved in lies. I want to tell you tonight, and I want you to listen carefully, as far as the religion of Islam is concerned, violence, murder and lies is sanctioned by the holy text of Islam, by the Quran itself. Chapter and verse can be quoted. You see, if a Christian resorts to violence, if he's guilty of murder, if he's guilty of theft, if he's guilty of adultery, if he's guilty of any uh, uh, act of of intimidation, then then we in the Christian church can say, "Well, well, that's against the Bible. The Bible hasn't told him to do it. His own lust has told him to do it. His own sinful nature has told him to do it. But, But not the Scriptures. But the Muslim man... He acts in accord with the teaching of the Quran. Even though the Muslim 
commentator and defender will argue that there should be no compulsion in religion. And there is a text in the Quran that says there's no compulsion in religion. It is true that the Quran also teaches that all who oppose and resist Islam ought to be put to death. Let me just read some things from Sharara law. Sharara law is the law of Islam. It's drawn from the Quran and also from the actions and words of Muhammad and the collection and reasonings of certain prominent imams. It's a legal system. It covers a wide range of subjects. Its stipulations are unlike any other legal systems in the world. Let me just read the list, if you can bear with me. Theft is punishable by the cutting off of the right hand. Criticize, deny any part of the Quran, punishable by death. Criticize or deny that Muhammad is a prophet, say he's a false prophet, punishable by death. Criticize and deny that uh, uh, Allah punishable by death a Muslim who becomes a non-Muslim punishable by death so if you're brought up a Muslim and then convert to becoming a Christian then someone has the right according to the teaching of the Quran to come and put you to death a non-Muslim who leads a Muslim away from Islam that's punishable by death a non-Muslim who marries a Muslim or vice versa, a Muslim who marries a non-Muslim, punishable by death. Did you know that the Quran teaches that a man can marry an infant girl at age six and consummate the marriage at age nine? That was on Sky TV just a few days ago in Sudan. I can give you book, chapter and verse for that. Do you know that a woman in the Islamic world can have only one husband, but the husband can have four wives? A man can unilaterally divorce his wife, but the woman needs her husband's consent. A man can beat his wife for insubordination. Four male witnesses are required to prove rape against a woman. A woman who is raped by a man or a group of men cannot testify in court against her rapist. A woman's testimony in court is only allowed in relation to property cases. A woman's testimony in court only carries half the weight of a man. A female heir inherits half of what a male heir inherits. A woman cannot drive a car. A woman can't be educated. A woman can't speak alone to a man who's not her husband or a relative. A Muslim must only eat meat that comes from animals sacrificed to Allah. You know all this talk about halal meat? An animal slaughtered in a certain way? Well, those animals are actually sacrificed to Allah. Also, a Muslim should engage 
and I'm going to try and pronounce it when I'll get it wrong. Taquiga, T A Q I Y A, and lie to non Muslims to advance Islam if it prevents harm to other Muslims. And the list goes on. This is only a snippet of Sharara law. And it's this law that there are those who want to introduce into the United Kingdom. And it's interesting that there's calls now from members of Parliament because the British Law Society have asked for certain aspects of this law to be introduced into, incorporated into, to British law. And you think of the treatment of women. Think of the treatment of children. And to have that law imposed in our legal system, you can understand then it's just a further step on the road of Islamization of the country. And that's why I've used the point tonight deliberately, the controversy with Islam. You could just imagine if there was a text in the Bible that said for Christians to go out to non-Christians and put them to death for a number of reasons. You could just imagine the hoo-ha that would be in the world. And yet, here's the sacred text of Islam, the Quran, and the Sharara law is based on it. And these things are there. Adultery, homosexuality, of course, that we say is sin, but they go further and say it's punishable by death. Of course, the Bible doesn't say that. The Bible doesn't teach that. It may have done in the civil law for Israel, but that civil law was abrogated in the death and life of Christ. I'll have to finish. I've just opened up the subject. Why? Because there's a lot of talk in the country about Islam. People have asked me, what's this religion about, Reverend McLaughlin? What does it believe? Why is it so controversial? Why have we a pastor in North Belfast calling it satanic? Why, why, why is there for roar in the media? And why is there this reticence to, to criticize or, or, or to speak out against um, this falsehood? So I'm only opening up the subject. Maybe at another time we'll look at the subject from a different angle. How to witness and treat the Muslim neighbor that may be in your street or in your school or in your town. And of course that's a completely different subject. But as we finish, here's a command in the Bible. Beloved, those that are loved of God, believe not every spirit. We're, we're not to accept every uh, Tom, Dick and Harry that comes preaching or bearing a witness that he has claimed to get a message or a revelation from God. What are we to do? We're to try the Spirit. We're to ask ourselves, is this really of God? Is this the Spirit of truth or the Spirit of error? We're told, believe not, uh, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. And we've got to recognize uh, that, that there has to be a, a, a testimony. 
that there has to be a basis for examining what a man says. And I leave with you this word from Isaiah 8 and 20. To the law and to the testimony. If they speak not according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. And we'll go back to the doctrine of salvation. Asked a Muslim man or Muslim woman how to be saved. How to guarantee and be sure of a place in heaven. And their answer will be faithfulness to the religion of Islam. Involvement in the five pillars of Islam. For we have to say and say truthfully that it's not what you do that merits the favour of God. It's what Jesus Christ did for us. And when you put your faith and trust in Christ, the work of Christ is put to our account and God accepts us on that basis. And on that basis alone, he guarantees us a place in the glory land. Doesn't the Bible say, he that believeth? That means putting your faith and trust in. That means adhering to, relying on, putting your whole weight upon. He that believeth hath everlasting life. Let me just ask, are you a believer tonight? Have you come to the place where you've asked Jesus Christ, recognized that you're a sinner and asking him to be your saviour? Are you part of those that can be called the beloved, the, the, the people of God, a people whom God loves with all his heart, and soul and mind and strength? Is that true of you tonight? If it's not, we urge you to turn to Christ, face up to your sinfulness and call upon him because the Bible says, Whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. May the Lord bless these few comments to our heart. <coughs>